Uh, glad that you're uh, here with us. We are uh, wrapping up uh, the last week of our May series, which has been kind of working through the book of uh, John, uh, the, the different uh, miracles of Jesus that John uh, specifically uh, talks about. And we're going to be uh, starting a, a new series uh, next week that I'm really excited about uh, called The Uncertain Road. And I started to think about what I wanted uh, our fall to look like here at Northwest. A little over a year ago, I had planned uh, to do a, a series on politics. About a year out, uh, I thought, oh, this would be really fun, uh, election coming up. We'll, we'll you know, do a little six-weeker on, uh, on politics leading up to the election. And as this year has unfolded, I realized that wouldn't be fun at all. <laughs> That'd be terrible. And so I was uh, talking to a friend of mine over the summer, back over the summer, and he just kind of made an offhanded comment to me. He said, uh, I think that come October, uh, we are going to need to do our most pastoral preaching. That uh, come October, uh, people are going to be worn out and frustrated and discouraged and all of these things. And he's a pretty wise guy, obviously, because I think that's where we're at. And so I started to think about where do you go for like a pastoral word? And I thought, there's no one more pastoral than the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. You know, he's the most pastoral person. So I started looking at John 13 through 17. It is sometimes uh, called the final discourse of Jesus uh, before he goes to the cross. And uh, within, um, uh, within that text, you also have the high priestly prayer, the high kind of pastoral prayer of Jesus. And I started to study that text. It's a really great text. Uh, John 13 through 17, if you want to read, uh, John 13 through 18, really, even almost, if you want to um, read ahead a little bit, uh, it's really uh, pastoral and it's a really great word because Jesus is addressing the uncertain road ahead for the disciples. That he knows that he's going to the cross, but I also think that he's kind of talking about the persecution that's going to come the way of the church and just all of the uncertainty that the crucifixion of Christ and even the resurrection of Christ, all the uncertainty that that's going to bring into their lives. As so he says, man, I've got a word for you as you face an uncertain road. And it's a lot different, but we're in uncertain times. There's no question about it. And I, I think uh, this text in John is going to help us unpack it uh, a ton. So that's a long kind of intro uh, to, to that. But we're, uh, I'm excited about it. And we're, we're going to study those texts together and just see what Jesus has to say about the uncertain road. Uh, but today we're going to be in John, as we have been every week. We're eventually going to be in John 21. Uh, I want to start us off in Luke 5. Uh, and so I'm going to pray here in just a minute, but we're going to start in Luke 5. Eventually, we'll be together in John 21 to finish off the series. But I want to uh, pave a little road uh, before we get to John 21. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for uh, his work and his miracles. And uh, I just pray uh, right now that we would be amazed. Uh, we'd be amazed not just by what he did, but by who he is. And that we would follow uh, in his footsteps and um, that uh, we would... Uh, raise him high uh, to the people around us, the people in our family, the people in this culture, that we would lift Jesus high and they too would be amazed. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Here's Luke 5. Uh, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So we're going to look at, we're going to bookend the beginning and the end. All right, so Luke 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, one of the disciples, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, uh, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For all he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up onto the shore, they left everything, and they followed him. I love, for lack of a better way of saying it, I love the humanness of this exchange. That Jesus, listen, we have been, we're fishermen, we know what we're doing, we've been working hard all night, we haven't caught anything, and they know enough about Jesus to refer to him as their master, but they also seem to be intimating in this text that while Jesus is the master, they seem to be intimating that fishing isn't really his bag, that he doesn't really know fishing. They seem to be intimating that. And Peter perhaps was there just a chapter earlier, Jesus had said these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We know that Peter for sure was there uh, just a chapter ago when his mother-in-law gets super sick with a fever and Jesus kind of shows up and heals her. And so I wonder if like Peter is kind of intimating here that proclaiming good news to the poor, Jesus, that's your thing. Healing, Jesus, that's your thing. Fishing is my thing. And I'm telling you, we've been out here all night and we haven't caught a thing, which leads to the question, is fishing really your thing? But anyway, this is kind of what, what, you know, you haven't caught anything, you're just kind of out for a boat ride, then you're not actually fishing. Um, And he says, we haven't caught a thing. And beyond that, we're tired, Jesus. We are exasperated, we're frustrated. We haven't caught a single thing. And have you ever felt this way before? If we can just get kind of put ourselves into this story a little bit, when you're reading the commands of Jesus, when you're reading the ways of Jesus, and you think this, you would never say it out loud like Peter said it out loud, but you have this thought that, Jesus, I'm just not sure that's gonna work. Right? You, Jesus, I get that like being savior is your thing, being preacher is your thing, but you don't know my industry or you don't know my family or you don't know my marriage. And again, we're too nice to say it out loud, but it's like, Jesus, I'm just not sure that's going to work. I've been hearing more and more people just honestly, just say it out loud. That like, I know Jesus calls me to forgive. I'm not doing that, <laughs> right? I know Jesus calls me to peace. I'm not doing it. Right? Because I don't believe it's going to work. And here's where we want to get. I think we want to get that kind of doubt. It's human. And it's in all of us. But we want to get to where Peter is. Let me put this on the screen for you. But because you say so. But because you say so. We are identifying you as master and king and Lord. And yes, I have my doubts that it's going to work. Yes, I have my doubts that you're right on this. But because you say so, Jesus, I will follow your way. And honestly, this is where we want, to, we, this is where we want our kids to get. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of like, you're trying to introduce a new food to your kids. And you know they're going to love it. You know they're going to like it. And you even make a little airplane noise, you know, open up. And their mouth is clamped shut. And you're like, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And it is clamped shut. And all you want to hear out of their mouth in that moment is, Mom, Dad, because you say so. Because you say so. Or you're trying to get them to try a new sport or a new hobby. And you know they're going to love it because you know your kid. 
right? I'm not trying that. I'm scared. I'm intimidated. And all you want to hear in that moment is because you say so. Or you come home at a, after a long day of work and all you want them to do is the chores you've assigned to them. They haven't done the chores and you're frustrated and you're trying to get them to do the chores and all you want to hear in that moment is this phrase, because you say so. This is the heart of following Jesus. It's not, that, it's not that you can't have doubts and follow Jesus. Of course you can have doubts. We all have doubts. But the heart of following Jesus is we recognize he's the master. We recognize he's the Lord. We recognize him as king. And we recognize that we are not the king and the master and the Lord. And so when we follow Jesus, we humble ourselves. We check our pride. And we follow the true master that we choose to listen to, to him and listen, there are going to be times when you follow Jesus, when your human instinct, just your instinct is gonna say that would never work. Or the way you were raised is gonna kind of embed in you that would never work. My parents didn't do it that way, that, that'll never work. Or culture is gonna whisper to you, that would never work. But we wanna get to this place that because you say so. It doesn't make sense to me, doesn't make sense to my instincts, to my culture, to my family upbringing. It doesn't make sense. But because you say so, I will do it. And they bring in this miraculous catch of fish. It turns out the Savior knew a little more about fishing than they thought he did. Right? Jesus was a better fisherman than they thought he was. They listened to him and they bring in this miraculous catch of fish. And like all miracles that we've studied in this series, Jesus uses this moment to teach something about his mission and his purpose. He said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And I want you to consider for a moment, this is the beginning. I want you to consider for a moment everything they saw those three years while they followed Jesus. Think about being present for some of the miracles that we've discussed. Think about being present when Jesus healed a man born blind, when Jesus fed 5,000 people, when Jesus rose a guy from the dead, imagine attending that funeral where Jesus like, Lazarus, come out, and, and all of a sudden he walks out. And you were present for it. I know we all want to have good stories to tell our kids and our grandkids. This is a different level, right? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate grandpa's fishing story. Let me tell you about when Jesus rose a guy from the dead. I was there. And it would be amazing to be there for that. Think about being uh, present for some of Jesus' teaching. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus climbed up onto this mountain and he began to teach his disciples. Imagine being there in the crowd as a follower of Jesus, listening to his words that we quote now, but they were present for. Imagine being there. It's not a story we talk about a ton, but imagine being there for the transfiguration. The transfiguration is a moment where Jesus went up on a mountainside with a couple of his disciples. And he went up there and for lack of a better way of saying, he kind of peeled back his humanity a little bit and they saw Jesus in all his glory. And Moses and Elijah came to the mountain in front of these couple of the disciples. Moses and Elijah come down and they testify to who Jesus is. Imagine being there in that moment. It's not a story you would tell for the rest of your life. Then the cross happens and Jesus is arrested He's tried, he's uh, prosecuted, he's beaten, he's hung on a cross. The night is scary for his followers, it's unsettling. And all of these disciples that had heard Jesus teach, that had seen him do miracles, a few of them had seen him transfigured, here's how they react in this moment. They react in fear and they hide 
And Judas literally sells Jesus out. Peter denies ever having known Jesus. And they find themselves in an upper room, scared, intimidated, intimidated, hiding from the authorities. And then the resurrection happens. And Jesus kind of walks out of the tomb. And he appears to them. And yes, there's joy. But if we're honest in our humanity, there had to have been some awkwardness in this moment. That their friend had gone to the cross, he had been uh, prosecuted, he had been put to death, and these friends hid. They weren't there for their good friend Jesus. Their faith had failed. They denied ever having known him, and now they're seeing him face to face. And I think it raises a question. Is Jesus done with me? Is he mad at me? Are we even still friends? Let me explain it to you this way. Have you ever had like a just kind of knock down, drag out argument with someone? And like you find yourself raising your voices at each other and saying stuff that you later regret, but you're saying stuff in anger and you're mad at each other and and it doesn't get resolved. You kind of go your separate ways. And then once you've gone your separate ways, you realize that you're going to see them in three days at like a company picnic or Thanksgiving or some event. And you're like, oh man, I'm going to see them. And there's this unresolved thing between the two of us. And as that event draws near, as the company picnic is coming up, as Thanksgiving is right around the corner, you begin to have this anxiety about seeing them for the first time. What am I going to say? The last thing I said to them was hateful and angry and rude. And now I'm going to see them. What what am I going to say? Or worse, what are they going to say? What is this going to look like? Now imagine it's life or death. And your friend's taken to a cross for a crime he did not commit. And you got scared and hid. Or you denied him. And now he's alive and wants to see you. Yes, there's joy. But there's also a tension about what is Jesus going to say? Hey, thanks for being there. Right? I mean, is it going to be sarcastic? Is it going to be angry? What is it going to look like? And we begin to see what this is going to look like in John 21. Want to notice this? Is it afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee? It happened this way: Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, "We'll go with you." So they went out, got into a boat. But that night, again, they caught nothing. I don't think they're as good at this as they think they are. Right? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Let's pause here just for a minute. We'll get to the rest of the miracle in a moment. But it's super interesting to me that these guys go out fishing. Uh, I think one of the reasons that they go out fishing is that obviously this is what was comfortable to them. They knew fishing, perhaps it was relaxing. And in times of stress, we often go back to what is comfortable. I don't know if you noticed that uh, during the pandemic, that we find ourselves in times of great stress, there are certain things that just comfort us certain things that are comfortable. For you maybe, like me, it's like, I'm going back to sweets. I know it's bad for my health. I don't care. So is COVID. I don't care. I'm going to go back to sweets, right? I I need the comfort. Or maybe for you, it was, I'm going to play video games, or I'm going to read voraciously, or I'm going to watch a ton of TV, that we all have these things in times of stress that we go back to for comfort. And listen, that's okay for a season. What is a season we don't want to become our life? That we want to be reminded that Jesus is regularly calling us out of our comfort and reminding us to be on mission and purpose. 
And so for a season, if you kind of go back to man, whatever your fishing is, I'm going to go back to sweets or I'm going to go back to video games or reading or basketball, sports, whatever the case may be. I'm going to go back to that and it's going to comfort me. That's okay, but don't let comfort become your life. Be reminded that Jesus is calling us on a mission and a purpose to love others and to serve them and to make a difference. The goal of this life is not comfort. Uh, the goal of this life is serving Jesus. And now there's another reason Peter may have gone, decided to go back to fishing and if you'll allow me, this is really dangerous for a preacher to do this, fully admit it. If you'll allow me to psychoanalyze just for a minute. I, I hate doing this in sermons, but this text is too rich with this. I, I, I can't help but wonder if maybe Peter was having a thought like, man, I have not been a fisherman in like three years. I haven't regularly been fishing in three years. I need to update my resume uh, because I am pretty sure disciple is not going to be on it anymore. I'm pretty sure after the way my faith failed, Peter especially, after the way I denied Jesus, after the way I turned my back on him, why would he ever call me a disciple again? Why would he ever even want to associate with me again? So I wonder if fishing was modern day getting his resume ready. That man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go back to work as a fisherman where I was when Jesus originally called me. He's got to be done with me and I want to show you what happens next. Verses uh, five through further. <laughs> All right. He called them. Jesus, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. Look at what he does. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They're not falling for that again. When they did, they're not going to argue anymore. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, who wrote this text, uh, said to Peter, everybody else gets named. John's just the one Jesus thought was really cool. Um, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net of full fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and there was some fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did uh, the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. An almost identical story. Not exactly identical, but almost identical from the beginning of the calling of the disciples to this kind of post-resurrection experience the disciples had with Jesus after their faith had failed, after their courage had failed, after they had kind of turned their back, we see an almost identical miracle being done. And one of the kind of tricks to Bible study is if it's repeated, it's important. So whenever you see commands repeated again and again, anytime you see a story repeated again and again, it is worth remembering. It is really important. And I suspect that this miracle bookends the calling of the disciples and this post-resurrection moment with the disciples strategically. I think Jesus did this on purpose. He says, I'm going to show them a miracle that I did right at the very beginning. I'm going to, I'm going to do it again to remind them of some, some core truths. And I think there's three of them. The first reminder is this, the mission will continue. The mission he had called them on three years earlier, the mission to fish for men, 
Jesus is reminding them here, it will continue. A crucifixion can't stop it. The schemes of religious leaders cannot stop it. Later, the persecution of the church cannot stop it. The mission of the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, cannot be stopped. Men throughout the ages have tried to stop it. Sinful human beings have strategically tried to get in front of it and thwart it and make it go away. It can't be stopped because it's God's mission and it's God's purpose. And we're reminded of what this mission is in Matthew 28. He says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Amazing. When Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is reminding them, this is the mission that cannot be stopped. It is disciple-making. Another way to say it would be, that's kind of Bible-fancy way of saying, we lift Jesus high. We make Jesus known. We are all about Jesus and we encourage people to worship him and follow him and, and be baptized in his name and obey everything he has commanded us to obey, to obey. This is our mission and this is our purpose. And I sometimes sense recently a discouragement in some Christians when it comes to COVID. Like I've even heard the terminology a few times that, man, during COVID, that, that's when we canceled church. It's like, I always like to push back on it a little bit. No, no, no. Church wasn't canceled. We just worshiped from home for a short time. But the mission and the purpose of the church cannot be stopped. So church has never been canceled in that way. That, that persecution tried to stop it, and it didn't work back in the first century. Right? The crucifixion tried to stop it, and Jesus rose from the dead. A virus is not going to stop the mission and the purpose of Jesus. So during COVID, a lot of churches, ours included, we actually saw more people come online and hear the life-changing message of Jesus. Mission hasn't been canceled. We just worship from home for a season. But our mission and our purpose abounds. I sometimes sense in Christians recently kind of a uh, hopelessness about Christianity when it comes to our culture. That we, we are discouraged that fewer people seem interested in the Jesus way. It feels like culture is moving away from him and fewer people attend church and the culture at times feels quite dark. I wanna remind you, the light shines brightest in the dark. And so a culture that is moving away from Jesus cannot stop the mission and purpose of the church. Jesus just shines brighter. I sometimes sense an anger in some Christians recently when it comes to politics. That they think, man, if we just elect the right president or nominate the right justice to the Supreme Court, everything will be okay. Or if we don't do that correctly, everything will be doomed. And listen, it is a failure to see the mission and purpose of the church that we lift Jesus high and people worship him. And yeah, elections are important and Supreme Courts, that, that is important as well, but we wanna lift the name of Jesus high and even a political leader that we don't think is the best or Supreme Court justice that we don't think is best can't stop the mission of the church. The mission of the church goes on. So I think Jesus uh, uh, does, replicates this miracle at the beginning and at the end to remind them that the mission continues. I think the second reason he does it is to remind them that they play a part in it. 
That I think it would be easy for them to feel like that they, if the crucifixion were a test, were a final exam, they failed the test. I think it'd be easy for them to feel that way. That they had reacted in fear, the disciples had. They hid, they turned their back on Jesus, but he's reminding them in this story, no, 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 we're not done. I'm not done with you. Despite your failure, despite your courage kind of failing in in an important moment, I'm not done with you yet. As a matter of fact, if you read the rest of John 21, Jesus takes Peter aside who denied him three times and Jesus gives Peter an opportunity opportunity on three occasions to reaffirm his love for Jesus. He says, man, three times you kind of denied knowing me. Now three times I'm gonna let you say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I'm gonna feed your lambs. And he's restoring him. He's restoring him in his failure and reminding him that God has a plan and a purpose for his life. And maybe you can relate to this a little bit. You think about times recently, like I do, where your faith has failed, or where you gave into temptation and and sinned, or where your courage didn't step up in a crucial moment. And you wonder, you maybe wouldn't say it out loud, but you wonder, is God done with me? And you need to know this morning, he's not. God's not that way. That his grace is bigger than your sin. His grace is bigger than your failure and he is inviting you back to him because he has a plan and purpose for your life. And so even when we fail, even when we fall short, which for me is all the time, when we fail and when we fall short, we get to return to Jesus and he's not, you kidding me? I'm not done with you yet. I have a plan and a purpose for you and join me in it, join me in it. Lastly, it's a reminder that he will provide everything they need to accomplish what he has called them to accomplish. Did you notice in this story that on their own they couldn't do anything? It was when they listened to Jesus, empowered by him, that they caught this huge haul of fish. I mentioned earlier we're starting a new series uh, next week on uh, the last discourse of Jesus before he goes to the cross and uh, everything he says to disciples as they face the uncertain road. And I want to show you one text we'll be studying there. It's really appropriate for what we're doing today, but here's what he says. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you ever had the feeling of I can't? I don't think I can do what God has called me to do. Have you ever had that moment of discouragement that I don't have the strength, I don't have the resources, I don't have the stamina, I don't have the ability, um, I, I'm, I'm tired and I'm frustrated and I'm discouraged. And Jesus wants to remind us that in him, he gives us everything we need to accomplish what he has called us to accomplish. So in him, I just wanna affirm to you this morning, in him, You can. But he also says, apart from me, you can do nothing. (laughs) So it's a reminder that we want to be in him. And he will empower us and he will help us to live the life he has called us to live. So in the middle of this pandemic, I think a lot of us have been feeling this. Like, I don't know about you, but just as October is getting ready to come around and we're like wondering how Halloween's going to work out and all that stuff. If you had told me back in March, I thought we'd be back by Easter. Now we're talking about Halloween. You know, I'm just like, sometimes I, I can't, I can't. I'm frustrated, I can't. And this is a reminder, no, no, no. 
I gotta remain in him. I've gotta remain in him. I've gotta remain close to him. And he will empower me and he will help me to live the life he has called me to live. The same thing's true for you. That's not an extra special like pastor thing. That, that's true. This is true for everybody. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So I want to encourage you during this season of life where you are feeling like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I have the stamina, the resources, the ability, whatever your can't is, I just want to remind you, in Jesus Christ you can. In Jesus Christ you can. And you cannot just survive, you can thrive in certain seasons. We see this with the early church. A persecution breaks out amongst the early church and you would think that in that moment, that's the I can't moment. That man, we're, we're facing persecution in this first century, I, I can't. And not only does the church survive, the church thrives under persecution because of texts like this. That in Christ, I can. In Christ, I can. In Christ, I can. So be in Christ and remember, you in Christ Jesus, you are not alone. In Christ Jesus, you are not alone. He has given you everything you need to live the life he has called you to live. He's given us everything we need to live the life he has called us to live, and that gives me hope. So we remain in him, and we bear much fruit. And I think this, is, this season of life, it is an opportunity for fruit bearing. I think that um, Jesus is teaching us something. He's teaching me a lot of things. We're actually planning the last thing of the year. We're going to have a little uh, sermon time of, uh, as we get ready to turn the calendar on 2020 to 2021. Woohoo! right? <laughs> December 31st, we're going to gather in this room and we're going to say, hey, before we flip the calendar, what have we learned? What have we learned during the season? Because I think the, the absolute failure would be to turn the calendar and, and just say, glad that's over. But I'm glad it's over too but I wanna learn everything. And I hope one of the things that we learned as we get ready to flip the calendar is that we've gotta remain in him. We've gotta remain in him. And when we remain in him, he will bear much fruit. And so for those of you that are here today and you're discouraged and you're tired and you're doubting your ability and you're just unsure, remain in him. Remain in him and you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit in your classroom. You will bear much fruit home educating your children. You will bear much fruit interacting with your family. You will bear much fruit in the marketplace, whatever job that you have. You will bear much fruit as you're caring for your, your family around you, but remain in him and you will bear much fruit. This is a season where a lot of us are feeling like I can't. Today I wanted to remind you that in Christ Jesus we can. But we have to bear, we have to remain in him. So let's do that together. We're gonna receive communion right now. This is an opportunity for us. You can, bear, you can remain in him every day of the week. You, you truly can. But this is an opportunity for us to come back together as a church family and kind of do some corporate remaining, <laughs> right? that together, together as a church family say, we're gonna corporately remain right now. We're gonna remain in him, and we may have come in here tired and discouraged and angry, and we may have come in here just feeling like, I can't, 
But today we're going to be reminded that in Christ Jesus, we can. In Christ Jesus, we can bear much fruit. So we're going to receive communion together and just kind of spend a few moments remaining in him, and then we will leave this place discouraged. But this is the body of Christ given on the cross for our sins so that we could know God in this life and in the next. Let's receive it together. Underneath you have the juice, which represents his blood that he shed on the cross. Let's receive it together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, right now together as a church family, we want to remain in you. We want to remember that um, you empower us to live the life you've called us to live. So help us to remember that, that you are helping us and equipping us and empowering us and help us to remember that we are not alone, that you're there. And so to the tired in this room, to the frustrated, to the discouraged, to those that are doubting they are able, to those that came in here with a heavy load of I can't, May we leave this place encouraged in knowing that in you we can. That you are a God who has not left us alone, but you are with us through your Holy Spirit, empowering us, helping us, gifting us. And the same power that rose our Lord from the dead is at work in us. And so may we leave this place encouraged, full of hope, and empowered, knowing that you are there, you are with us, and you are helping us. May we leave our frustration and our hopelessness and our anxiety and our fear and what we feel like is our shortcomings. May we leave them on the floor of this room and arise anew ready to live for you for another week. Help us, Lord, tomorrow when we face discouragement. Help us to remember that you're with us. Help us this week when we're frustrated to remember that we are not alone. Help us to remember when we feel weak that in you we are strong. And Lord, help us to get one foot in front of the other and to live for you. That in this broken and fallen world, we want to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We want these attributes, Lord. Grow them in us in this season. And may we be an example to our neighbors and to our family about people that have been changed by your Spirit. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.